0: last couple of times I preached, I tried singing um, songs about the road, and um, the last time I was so horribly off key, it really kind of threw me. So I'm just gonna um, play one right now. So here we go. The long and winding road, you hear that? To your door. You can sing along. I'm a Beatles fan. We'll Never I've seen that road before. Before. Oh, Come on, sing with me, so I'm not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> to your door. Okay, well, that's probably enough, isn't it? Yeah, so, okay, there. Long and winding road. Remember that one? Who remembers that one? Yeah. Um, I was thinking about that. We're talking about roads here during uh, Lent. And I-, I thought this was a great one, though. It leads me to your door, because we often refer to the door of salvation. You know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And so I thought that was pretty good. And it says here that the road will never disappear. And I love that, that uh, the way of salvation is always available, this relationship with Christ. Well, we're on this road. We're calling this Easter road uh, during this season of Lent. Lent is these uh, 40 days before Easter, a season of penitence, a season where we become more aware of our need for salvation. Uh, And a season, therefore, a preparation for Easter for a fuller and a deeper uh, appreciation of this gift of salvation. Our goal during this season of Lent has been this, that we would first of all just understand the the nature of our salvation, this gift of grace as it plays out in the season in and among us. And secondly, that we would grasp some biblical tools and uh, grasp some texts from Scripture to help us understand and explain uh, what uh, salvation is, what we need and how we receive it. And then thirdly, that we would in all of this consider our invitation invitation to Easter, uh, that we might extend to others, our heart for others, and uh, that they too would hear this good news and respond uh, to this gift of grace from Jesus. So um, here's a picture, some of you maybe haven't seen the road, so I've got a picture of it here. This is our, 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 our road, our Easter road, the, we're, we're calling it the, the, we're using those texts from Romans that are called the Roman road, and so we've got the different ones along the way. Can we get the picture of the road here in front of us, and you can kind of see uh, what's, what's headed, where we're headed, and where we've been. Maybe not. Okay, um, there's Romans 3.23 is the first stop. There we are. Uh, it was our first stop on the road for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And uh, in the second week, uh, Romans 5, 6, and 11, for even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, and then we looked at uh, for the wages of sin is death and the, the gift of life is eternal life, gift is eternal life in Christ. And then last week, Pastor Diana preached from Romans 10 and talked about how we, we come to faith by claiming Christ as Savior. If we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we shall be saved. And today we come to, uh, to verse 12. Um, I should say that last week, as Pastor Diana uh, preached, and I, I listened to I was on vacation, but I listened to it this week, uh, that one of the things you did was, if you know, we have roads on our walls, by the way, if you know I saw that, but um, they go up in one week. What if the Illinois Department of Transportation could do a road in one week? Wouldn't that be awesome? Anyway, um, so over here, a lot of you had an opportunity then to kind of write a little bit of your story of when you had come to faith or, or what was a turning point for you in a long life of coming to faith uh, with some things you wrote down uh, over there, and I, I loved looking at those this week. Today, the road turns a little bit, and it, uh, this long and winding road, see, the song fits just a little bit, and the road bends now in the direction, really, of practical application. In other words, um, now that you are a Christian, now that you, understand what God has done for you now that the Roman road has brought you to a a decision to a commitment to Christ now here's how you live the Christian life and that's really what 12 1 and 2 are about it's this abandoning ourselves. it's the surrender that we spoke of and sang of in some of our worship music this morning so here's number two is Romans 12 uh, 1 and 2 Uh, let me read that again Grace read it as they're singing I want to read it one more time and have it in front of us Hear that? See, because all this is true, here's how now you should live. Go this way on the road, is in a sense what the Apostle Paul is saying as the road turns here at chapter 12. We've said this each week, that the Easter road is the road to reconciliation with God and with each other. We get right with God, and it affects how we then relate to one another. And this road is taking us through Paul's letter to the Romans on our way to a deeper understanding and experience of Jesus and his reconciling work of salvation. And today, the road takes a turn, moves from the gift of salvation, and turns on towards living a life that is truly changed, truly transformed. So that's uh, where we're headed. First of all, we're going to look at life application. Here's life application, and um, my points all kind of rhyme a little bit, so I hope it's get past the cheesy factor and stick with me, okay? So there's life application. Secondly, we're going to talk about total dedication, okay? And thirdly, we're going to talk about avoiding conformation, not confirmation, but avoiding conformation, okay? And number four, then this ongoing transformation that God calls us to. Life application. Paul says, therefore, therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy. One of the first things that we learn when we're learning how to interpret the Bible on our own is when you see the word therefore, you ask what? What is it? What is it therefore, right? It, it, It marks a turning point. Because of everything that's gone on before, this is what ought to happen now. In fact, Stuart Briscoe, author and pastor, says this, therefore, the word therefore is like a hinge on a door that acts as the link between the wall and the door. and ena- See, there's the door again. And enables the one to relate to the other. In Scripture, therefore, holds together doctrinal principles and practical application. All of these things are true, and therefore, we ought to live this way all of these things that we've said are true, therefore we ought to turn towards a life based on what Christ has done. And that's where we go, turning to real life based on what he's done. These are pivotal verses. Paul says, therefore, he could even say, and so, and so live like this. Instead of saying, and and just get cracking and behave yourselves, he's saying, based on this gift, based on this mercy that you've received, it would make sense that it would begin to change how you live your life. I love from the New Living Translation, says, when you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? (laughs) When you think of what he's done to you, is this too much to ask? Therefore, let's live this new life. Let's turn the corner, towards. secondly, towards total dedication. The Apostle Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. It kind of sounds scary, offering like a, your body as a, as a, as a sacrifice here. Kind of, we think of dead animals, maybe, but not on our own bodies. But we have to remember what, 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 what a body meant in, in Greek thought and also in Hebrew and Christian thought. See, in Greek thought, which really dominated the world of the New Testament, the Greeks thought that really only the soul, only who the the nature of what was inside was important, that the body was just a container, and therefore they could do whatever they wanted with the body as long as their soul was in touch with God or the gods or whatever. But rooted deeply, deeply back to creation and and in, in the Hebrew thought, which translates into our Christian thought, the body belongs to God as much as the soul. Body, mind, and spirit. Our bodies will be resurrected. We will live in a body for eternity. We won't float around as a disembodied spirit in the kingdom to come. And so the body is important now. That's why God put on flesh. The word became flesh. God himself dwelt in bodily forming. So you can see why people of Greek thought thought How weird would that be that God had a body when a body is like a not that important? And yet in our faith, we believe that they are connected. And so Paul, in a sense, is saying, offer your whole self, body, mind, soul, and spirit. What Paul means here is that we should be offering all of the parts, all of the tasks and responsibilities of our life. It's a total dedication of our life to Christ. Christ is Lord of every area of our life, of our mind, of our health, of our friendships, of our work. We are offering all parts, all tasks and relationships of our life. William Barclay, who's an English biblical scholar from the last century, says this. So Paul says, take your body, take all the tasks that you have to do every day, take the ordinary work of the shop, the factory, the shipyard, the mine, and offer all that as an act of worship to God. Basically living out our faith every day. All of the tasks we have, all of the relationships we have, all the parts of who we are being offered to God. It's a call to be really living our whole life, our whole life as as worship and as service. He says, this is true worship. This is your spiritual act of worship. Thinking about worship, I remember this study that I saw once uh, about um, how, how to stay safe. How to stay safe in the world today. Number one is avoid riding in automobiles because they're responsible for 20% of all fatal accidents, so don't ride in cars. Number two is do not stay home because 17% of all accidents occur in the home. Number three says avoid walking on streets or sidewalks because 14% of all accidents occur to pedestrians. Number four says avoid traveling by air, rail, or water because 16% of all accidents involve these forms of transportation. Of the remaining 33%, 32% of all deaths occur in hospital. Above all else, avoid hospitals. You'll be pleased to learn that only .001% of all deaths occur in worship services and church. <laughs> and these are usually related to previous physical disorders. I realize sometimes people are bored to death. But anyway, um, therefore, logic tells us that the safest place for you to be at any given point in time, is at church. Bible study is safe, too. In fact, the percentage of deaths during Bible study is even less than in worship. For safety's sake, attend church, read your Bible, it could save your life. Uh, It sounds like the kind of thing that would be condensed and put on a church marquee somewhere, doesn't it, to make you feel guilty for not going to church, and that's not the point. But this isn't the kind of worship that Paul's talking about. He's not talking about sitting in a pew or a chair, whatever your church has decided to do as it moves forward. (laughs) It's not where your body is sitting on a Sunday morning. It's not what's being even heard necessarily or what we might be singing or what the theme might be. But this kind of worship, this true worship, refers to the orientation of our whole life to God. In fact, the word that Paul uses for worship here is much broader than just a, a service of worship. It's a it's a it's a It's a word that includes the idea of work and of service, that that what we do and how we live becomes worshipful when we do it in this relationship with God. This is not just a churchy worship word here. This is not an hour, okay, hour 15 word. This is a how we live our life word. This is our spiritual worship. Our life of total dedication lives it out. Which takes us then to verse 2 where we have avoiding conformation. Not to be confused with confirmation for junior high students or Senate Republicans, but we won't get into that. Anyway, um, it's conformation. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. World here is not just where we live, because the world is kind of a neutral thing here, but this word for world actually is aeon, which is really more of a time word than a place word, okay? So the world, it really means more of this age. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, this age, the thing that characterized this world place where we live, this atmosphere we live in, the age in which we live as opposed to the age to come, which is an age of perfection. As we look forward to the perfect kingdom, that age will be one of perfection, but this age we live in is clearly not perfect. In fact, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul calls it this present evil age, this present evil age. And as believers, we are faced with the challenge of life in this present evil age, the challenge of life in this present evil evil age. There's many options for Christians, and they have gone in different directions down for the last 2,000 years, and I summarize it in three of them. Number one, one option of living in this present evil age is to withdraw from it, and to protect ourselves spiritually, to hunker down and avoid it, and to to live just within a, a Christian context where we don't have to deal with anybody outside our walls. The extreme of monastic living or in a a kind of a Christian ghetto mentality, or what some call rabbit hole Christians, where we run run from one Christian activity to another and hide from and try to avoid any kind of staining from the world in us. It's living in an alternate reality and avoiding the world. It's a way to keep our faith safe, but it does not impact the world that Christ has called us to impact. That's number one. A second option is to identify with the age and culture around us in, in thought without thought or without question. So just completely sort of identifying with the culture and in a sense taking it on and becoming as believers and followers of Christ totally indistinguishable from our secular surroundings. We tend to be conformists, even non-conformists are conformists in their own way. And we want to fit in rather than stand out because of our faith. And so here's where we can kind of live life sort of safely. We, we can do church, we can be involved in church and certain kinds of spiritual things, but basically we, we live lives that don't cause a lot of trouble and don't make waves in the culture. And it seems harmless at first, but what happens there is we really kind of have a, a, a spiritual faith and a functional atheism. <laughs> Are you comfortable with functional atheism? That means actually the way we live and function isn't really all that influenced by this faith that we have. And it can seem harmless, it does not impact the world, but it actually can mean that we can take on so much of the culture that we not only become indistinguishable, we can take on aspects of the culture that run counter to the gospel. We can buy into certain kinds of materialistic systems and self-focused systems to the extent that we crowd out the influence of Christ in our life. Or worse, we can, we can live into certain ways of living where we compare ourselves to other people, and other races, and it can lead to all kinds of ugly balancing of different lives being worth more than others. The church in Germany in the 1930s took number two and conformed so much to the culture, they did not make any waves against what was going on in Germany, and it allowed the rise of Adolf Hitler. The third option is what Jesus said, which is be in the world but not of the world, this age, this present evil age. Be in it. Live your lives in it. And pray this prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven to remember that our allegiance is to the kingdom to come, but we live like that now, and we make a difference. And that's why we have as part of our vision statement here, and hopefully something we're starting to learn to live out of make a kingdom difference, make a difference for Jesus. It's not just make a difference, but make a kingdom difference with a capital K, living for Christ. Impacting the world with Christ's priorities, and it sometimes will mean confronting systems that don't work in this world. Some of you know the uh, name J.B. Phillips. He was an English uh, theologian, and he wrote his own translation of Scripture. And sometimes the Phillips version just says it just right. And I love the way he translates Romans 12:2. It came in real handy back when I was a youth pastor on Jello nights. So listen to this one: Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. <laughs> Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Jello takes the shape of whatever it's poured into. And as we're poured into the world, do we let the world shape who we are or do we let Christ shape who we are? I've actually been thinking a lot about a word, a word that the world is misusing that can become an unwanted mold to how we view ourselves, particularly in this very contentious election season. The word I'm thinking of is the E in NE c you walk under it every time you walk through the door. The word, yes, evangelical. Man, that thing gets tossed all over the place, doesn't it? And labels all kinds of ideas and people, some that we may identify with exactly, and others we go, ah, that is totally not me. The word evangelical has blown up and has been used uh, and misused in so many places. It becomes tied to certain values that are clearly scriptural and some that maybe are not. It becomes tied to certain economic persuasions that may have biblical basis or may not. And it gets tied to certain areas of political dogma that have nothing to do with the word evangelical. Do you know what the word evangelical It comes from the word evangel, and it means good news. So an evangelical is somebody that's all for the good news. How easy is that? Okay, let's move on. Now we need to look a little more carefully. When we use the word evangelical, in our movement of churches as part of the evangelical coming to church and other churches that we identify with as evangelical, there's really mainly two things that we really mean by that. One is that we have a high view of Scripture, that we believe in the authority of the Word of God, Old and New Testaments, inspired by God, and useful for faith, doctrine, and conduct. An evangelical has a high view of Scripture. We are not willing to water it down. We discuss it, we realize there are some different interpretations. When we come to it, and some of those differences we have to hold in tension, but we have a high view of Scripture. And the second thing that an evangelical believes in is the necessity of new life in Christ. And so, uh, I grew up in kind of a mainline church where I knew about God and I we learned the Bible, but nobody until I was in high school had told me that I could know Christ personally. It could be my church talked about it and I wasn't listening. I'm sure that's not the case as a young person in church. But I know that that was a fresh new word for me as a high school student when I was going to Young Life, when I heard that I could know Christ that it took a commitment in my life. So authority of Scripture and a, and a convergent experience, one that may happen quickly, uh, like some of these on this wall here, or some that may take place over life, but it's a willful uh, decision to follow Christ. Really, those two things Are what an evangelical is. It results in some other things like evangelism, uh, a missionary spirit, things like that, but that's what an evangelical is. So, therefore, we need to be careful in how we apply that word and not let other definitions of evangelical become a mold to shape how we are, who we are, or even how we vote. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to vote because I'm not supposed to, and I'm not sure myself because it's a very confusing season, and this isn't about who you vote for or don't vote for, but I am going to tell you not to be fooled by what some want to attach to the meaning of evangelical. As an evangelical, that's who you are, it is your commitment to the authority of scripture, It's your commitment to know Christ and to follow him and make a difference in this world. And don't let all the other definitions and the descriptions of huge hordes of people that attach themselves to one candidate or another shape you into a mold that would change that definition. Paul says in Romans 12, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Well, how do we do this? How do we find our way through this? Well, we spend time in Scripture. But I think the important thing when we spend time in Scripture is also spending time in Scripture with others. We need to be in community. We need to be in Bible study, small groups, Sunday school class, even informal conversations. Say, what do you think this means? Let's wrestle with this a little bit. One of the things that comes out of our heritage as evangelical covenanters is to ask the question, where is it written? And it's not where is it proof-texted, but where is it written? Let's look at it together. Let's discuss it together. Let's prayerfully consider what the Spirit would have us take from this Scripture as we discern God's truth together. So we do it through Scripture, through community, and keeping each other accountable. And finally, my fourth point here, we do it as we are continually being transformed. There's an ongoing transformation that goes on in our lives. And transformed here is not just an outer conformity to fit in with other people, but it speaks of a a real interchange. uh, uh, The word here for transformation is the same word that we get the word metamorphosis from. And if you took high school biology, even if you flunked it, you've got to remember what metamorphosis is, right? It just means changing. It's what happens to the caterpillar becoming butterfly, Right? Metamorphosis, a change, a complete change. It's a butterfly change, not a chameleon change. What Paul is saying here is, is be changed. Get, get morphed, we might say. Be, be truly changed with, within. Let, let God be at work in you and change you from within. How we think, how we process, how we decide, how we respond, how we feel, how we are really made new. It's the same word uh, that's used of Jesus in the transfiguration. Jesus was transfigured before them in his very being. We are morphed, get morphed, be changed, and transformed. I have a picture of three of our family members, if we can get that up there. Coming. Okay, next one. There. There. Uh, on the chair is Charlie. Charlie is 14 years old, and she is our grand dog. Until uh, a couple of years ago, it's the only grand we had, but she's belonged to our son, Grady, for a long time. So she comes to visit from time to time. In the middle is Lucy, uh, our mixed breed dog. She's a Mexican breed dog that we've had for a little over 10 years. And on the far right in the bottom corner there is Toby. And Toby is a Glen of a terrier. She's a purebred dog that we pay way too much money for. And um, Toby we've had for about eight years. And at uh, the two short-haired dogs, all they take is a little brushing, washing, and they're groomed, and they're good. Toby, on the other hand, she's got to be groomed, but not with clippers, okay? We didn't know this we got her, but you, you don't, have you ever heard of hand stripping? There are certain breeds of dogs, you do not clip them, you, you pull their hair out. Sounds awful, doesn't it? But you actually thin their hair, and you get them in this beautiful condition to be a show dog. She went to a couple shows when she was little, but she's not too bright. Anyway, so we, she's just a house dog, so... Anyway, um, we, we discovered this after we got her several years ago of hand stripping, and, and it really is a wonderful breed, and we've had, we had one before her that we thought was a mutt. Anyway, but when we lived in Tucson, we had to find a place, someone who could do this hand stripping. and we finally found a dog groomer, and the name of the place is Transformations. Transformations. I found a picture of it. It's just hilarious. It's this dumpy little building. And it's, it's a two, it's a two business building. And right over here is this little, little slump block building in dry, in a dry part of Tucson. at Transformations. And right next to it is a huge guns and ammo store. So I didn't really want to picture, picture up there. But anyway, transformations next door. And, um, uh, and so we took Toby there on a regular basis. And the question is, when we took her there, was she transformed? She was transformed. She looked a lot different. My wallet was a little bit lighter, and Toby was a little bit more beautiful. There was a lightness in her step. I think she actually, in her little own inner dog, felt better about herself as well. But was Toby really changed on the inside? Not that much. This breed is described as a dog who is moderately intelligent. And Toby is still moderately intelligent. Not much has changed on the inside. Transformations can happen on the outside. We can have a makeover, we can have a do-over, but it really matters what's going on deeply on the inside. And Romans 12, 2 speaks of a deep interchange resulting in not just a new look or a new do, but really a new way of thinking. A new way of thinking. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Christ does that renewing, but we need to make ourselves available for that renewing. It doesn't happen overnight. We need to always be listening in all areas, and we find out that as we have a new way of thinking, it calls us to often make choices about what we will let our minds dwell on, right? Paul even asked that in Philippians four: "Whatever's wonderful, whatever's pure whatever's is good, let me let my mind dwell on those things. We make choices. We make choices about how we will think of ourselves, if we will allow ourselves to get self-absorbed with, with either a high, too high of a view or too low of a view, too focused on our, perform, our, our, our external appearance and what might need to change, too focused on our performance and our success, and yet focused enough on it to live in the life God's called us to. We, make, we come up with new ways to think about ourselves. God gives us new ways to think about others. We learn to embrace the differences among us, and we learn not to compare but, or to categorize people or dismiss certain groups of people or look down or look up. But we find a new identity in Christ helps us affirm who we are and make choices about how we will think and view other people, those we agree with and those we don't agree with. We'll have new ways of thinking about a critical spirit that finds its way into some of us. Some of us are prone to be overly positive and annoyingly so, and some of us are prone to be negative and critical and frighteningly so. You know who you are, and these are places where we make choices and say, I want to be thinking about things the way that God is now renewing my mind. Materialism, how we think about stuff, how we think about money, how we think about our own sense of security, the kind of things that we are afraid of as we move on through the decades of life. We need to be thinking in ways of God's provision and God's care. We need to be smart. We need to be wise. But these are way, places we make choices. Christ renews our mind. But we need to be actively engaged in our choices. A thought enters into our mind, and, we, uh, and, it's, a, and it's a selfish thought. A thought enters our mind, and it's a crazy, lustful thought. We thought, I thought I was done with that. Something happens, and we find just this horrible, critical comment that we want to make pops into our mind, and our mouth is about to engage. We consider our situation, our financial situation, whatever it is, and we find fear starting to take hold, or we find vengeful thoughts. And when these things enter, a renewed mind doesn't eliminate those things, but a renewed mind is able to stop and say, do I want to entertain this thought or not? I was thinking about a, a movie. It came out a long time ago. It was Beautiful Mind. Anybody remember A Beautiful Mind? It's based on a true story of a professor at, not Harvard, anyway, at a big school. And I, should have, I have no notes on this one. But this professor it was played by Russell Crowe in the movie. And he, uh, he was a brilliant, a brilliant thinker, economist, I believe. And he became diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia a terrible, terrible um, disease. And he became medicated for it, and it managed the disease, but he became a person he didn't want to be. He learned then to live with his schizophrenia and know that when certain thoughts came, that they were delusions that he could kind of take and set aside and move forward with his work. If he can do it with paranoid schizophrenia, we can do it with the thoughts that come our way and choose to think in ways that honor God and will advance our life and connect us better with other people. Renewing our mind means making choices to draw near to God, and so we need to look at how how, how we're doing that. How, how is your mind? How is your mind today? <laughs> how is your mind? How are you conforming or not to the world around you? How open are we to God's transforming power? He's uh, here. He, he's here at this turn in the road. Do not be conformed. Do not be squeezed in the mold of this world, but be renewed by the transforming. Be, by, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Letting God come in with his love to convict us of sin, to turn our thoughts and turn us down this road where we live for him, following Christ and living a changed life. Now as we wrap this up, words I know some of you love to hear, but as we wrap this up, a way that I've been ending a few of these sermons in this series is a final point that says need to know, need to go. I added, a, I added a third one in the middle here. Need to know, need to grow, need to go. Need to know is we need to know these things. We need to know what the scripture says. Some of you are part of a Sunday school class in the morning where you're getting some tools about what you can know about your faith and explain your faith. And we're talking about this Roman road that we know these steps along the way of how we're made and what our need is and how we receive the gift of salvation. But today's message in Romans 12 talks about this third one. of It's a, it's a need to grow, uh, new ways of thinking, new ways of relating to the world around us, new awareness of where the world might be conforming us to something that is not scriptural or God's best for us. And so these are the challenges for us, but always, especially in this season, pushing us this place of go. Go to those who need to know God's love. Go to those who need to know God's grace and hope for meaningful life. This Easter road is a journey that we are on but it's also a road we want to invite others onto as well. Last week, a lot of you wrote on little bricks. You can take some time after if you weren't here and see where people have named who, what, where, when and of their story, of how they have come to faith. Well, we added another road, and it's blank right now, but there's Sharpies along it, and this would be the road where you can come either during the final hymn or after worship and come and just write the name of somebody that you are praying for, somebody that you may, in fact, be inviting to worship, we're going to leave that up there, so you can put first names, and so if your friend comes, they'll think it's another person. Or if you want to, you can put new neighbor. That's what I'm putting. I'm putting new neighbor. We have a new neighbor. So just write on there a name or a reference. Somebody I go to school with, that kid whose locker is three down from mine, that's really annoying, but I'm going to invite them to church, or whatever happens to be. So we're going to, we would like those names to eventually be stories that are told over here. Got, got the visual here? Good. Let's think about that now as we pray and close and transition. Lord, thank you for what your word tells us. That it is what we need to know about salvation and about how to live this life in this crazy world. Lord, I pray for my friends who've made that choice to follow you, that you would take them to new levels of, of growth of awareness of the places where the world is trying to squeeze us into a mold that really isn't of you and the places where we need to capture some of the thoughts that can take us away from you, capture them, set them aside and think in new ways. But Lord, we ask that you would also bring to mind those friends, those family members, those co-workers, other kids we go to school with, whoever it might be, Lord, that you've put on our mind that we would be praying for them that they would know this gift of life and salvation, that they would be drawn along this road to the place of life and of hope in Jesus Christ. We ask this, Lord, and pray it in your name. Amen.